Gaishia called to preach the full counsel of God. Right? Not just only speak about what I like to speak about, but the whole Bible. And that's why we have a hybrid catechism recommended to preach also alongside it so that we don't forget important topics. But one of the ways of not missing anything is preaching verse to verse. In a series we have started in 1 Corinthians a while ago. And I would like to continue doing that tonight. 1 Corinthians 15, the verses 1 through 11. We go verse by verse. But the main verses are 3 and 4. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So far. How important the resurrection is Three thoughts. In the first place, the gospel of the resurrection. The gospel of the resurrection, the verses 1 through 4. Secondly, witnesses of the resurrection. This is shorter point. Not so long as the first and the last one. In the verses 5 through 7. And then Paul's proof of the resurrection in the verses 8 to 11. So how important the resurrection is, the gospel of the resurrection, the witnesses of the resurrection, and Paul's proof of the resurrection. Moreover, brethren, the apostle begins in chapter 15, moreover, brethren, we have talked about many things before, I'm beginning a new chapter, a new topic. Something interesting, something important. I'm going to talk about the resurrection. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. And that gospel, as we will see, is the gospel of the resurrection. That's why the first point is the gospel of the resurrection. Apparently... Some people in the congregation of Corinth had a problem believing in the resurrection of the dead. They said, that can't be. That's absurd. Someone dying has died and comes to, to life again? That's simply impossible. I'm sorry, I can't believe that. When the Apostle Paul spoke like that, on that also on Mars Hill, so many people in Greece just left him and said, what a nonsense. It can be. And there's still the case, right, that people say, I have no problem being a Christian and believing in Jesus, but resurrection, no, no, no. The Apostle Paul writes in this chapter that if you don't believe in the resurrection, then the gospel is empty and your faith is vain you make a big mistake, and you are still in your sins. So it begins with, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and therein ye stand. So let's talk about a few words. Gospel, preached, received, stand. Gospel. What is gospel? Old word. We often don't think about it anymore. God, gospel is actually a, a good, good spell, good message, nice message, beautiful message, glad tiding, God's spell or good spell. So the Apostle Paul is preaching the best ever message you can hear. He is preaching something so beautiful and so important. And the heart of it is 
the resurrection. So he feels that calling in his heart. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you that gospel, that gospel which I preached unto you. The gospel is the message of forgiveness, the message of repentance, the message of a true saving faith, the message on how the Lord converts his people. But the gospel is not just information. The gospel is not just letting you know the facts. The gospel is also preached. And preaching is not only informing the people. What is preaching? What is preaching, actually? It's preaching just letting you know things and describing how it goes in the life of God's people. Just explaining things no, preaching is something more serious. This proclamation of the gospel. This pronouncing people dead. And it's also pronouncing people alive. Like we read in the Hebrew Catechism on page 64, right? Page 64, that is Lord's Day 31. How is the kingdom of heaven opened and shut by the preaching of the Holy Gospel that according to the command of Christ it is declared and publicly testified that all and every believer, to all and every believer, that whenever they receive the promise of the Gospel by a true faith, all their sins are really forgiven them. So pronouncing that. And making it clear, publicly testifying. Apostle Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. I brought it close to you, brought it to your door. I also preached the command to seek and to repent and to seek refuge and to take refuge into the Lord Jesus Christ. So you must bring pressure on the people. Not just informing them and say, you heard it, you do whatever you say you do. No. More. He preached it. Do we realize that when the word is preached, that in a way the Lord speaks to us? Not just the pastor, but the word of God is preached in such a way that the pastor is the mouthpiece of God. And that we must also take it as God's voice, the Bible says. Preached the gospel, which also ye have received. That is beautiful, isn't it? The people did not just only look the other way, but when it was preached, they received it. Received it. And receiving is a beautiful word in the Bible and sometimes has different meanings. Sometimes to receive is the opposite of stealing. Have you stolen it? No, I have received it. And sometimes the word receiving is the opposite of refusing. You refuse it? No, I receive it. And that's the word here. The Apostle Paul writes to the congregation of Corinth, I preached unto you that which also ye have received. You have welcomed it. You said yes. You said absolutely. That's my heart's desire. And you received the gospel. You received salvation. You did not reject it and refuse it. You did not walk away from it, but you came to it and you received it. The Lord said, come, and you came. Heavy laden. In your sin, but you came, you received it. Have you? Have you received the gospel of the resurrection? I mean, not 
received in the sense that it came to, but it came to. It was offered unto you. But did you receive it? And if you don't receive it, that's on our account. And if we receive it, that is only because the Lord has given it. Because we don't receive it. We cannot receive it. But we can refuse it. And we do. And yet, the Lord also comes to unwilling and unable people and says, Come unto me, enter ye in, into the narrow gate. I preach unto you which also ye have received. I hope that they who have not received it go home tonight and say something. I must admit it. I have not received it. I have been rejecting it all the time. And may you repent of that and tell the Lord, Lord, I have been unwilling my whole life. And wherein ye stand, that receiving was not just a fleeting thing of some moments, but they were standing in it. They were holding on to it. They stood for it. They defended it. They did not let it go. And we have to start thinking about it, right? We live in a time that the consequences of standing and defending the gospel is becoming more dangerous. There's a danger of defamation, of imprisonment, of being fined and being persecuted. And in the congregation of Corinth, they were still standing for it. They have heard it, they have received it, and they are standing in it. Most of them were also errors in the congregation that you have seen before and problems in the doctrine, but most of them, the majority of the people, have received it and have and stand in it. Verse 2 By which also ye are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. So let's talk about saved and keep in memory and having believed in vain. Saved. What is salvation? Have you thought of a mine? You know what a mine is? A coal mine or a gold mine or a diamond mine, they can go quite deep in the ground. They just make holes in the ground and tunnels and railways and carts and they bring the ore to the surface and they have iron and copper and all different things. They're mining it. Now suppose some miners are down there, some kilometers down, hundreds of meters anyway, and all of the walls is caving in. And they are in the dark, and they have lack of oxygen, and they have no, no food, and they can't sleep there. And they, they need to be rescued, they need to be saved out of that dire circumstance. Well, we people need to be saved as well. Because we fell in that mind. No, we walked into it willingly. And we ruined our own lives. And we need to be saved by the hand of God. So how does not say? Do we see it in the text here? How? Which also you have received and where you stand by which also ye are saved. By which? By what? By the gospel. The gospel preaching is the vehicle 
is the means of God to save people. This is the preaching. It's not only to make us smart and wiser and civil and good people, but it's to save us. So that's why we come to church, to to be saved, to be saved by the gospel preaching, by which also ye are saved. Saved from what? Like in the mind, they need to be saved from the darkness and from the lack of oxygen and the lack of food. And what's the problem we need to be saved from? You say our sins, right? So what? Why? Why do we need to be saved from our sins, deliver our sins? Our sins separate us from God. And that God make God makes makes it also makes God God, God angry with sin. So there is God's indignation, God's wrath. We need to be saved from God. And God saves people from himself. And God says, watch me. I'm coming. Hurry. Be saved because I'm coming. And he sends his only son to save people from their sins. By which also ye are saved. Although... There is the restriction. If you keep in memory what I preached you, keep in memory not only that you remember in your head, but that you are holding on to it in your heart, that you keep in memory, that you hold on to that what you have what you what you've heard in the preaching, unless you have believed in vain. Believed in vain. Is it possible that people believe and it is worthless and futile and nonsense and of no help? Oh, yeah, it's happening a lot. That people believe in Jesus and they believe in vain. They fake it. They deceive themselves. They don't get it. They are running the wrong path. So it is important to understand the preaching and to receive it in the heart and to keep it up and to not give in, but to continue in the strife and to continue in the work of perseverance. And that is hard work for all of God's people. Hard work? I thought that God's people could sit back and say, I'm saved. I got something. God spoke to my heart. I am f- I'm fine. You don't need to be worried about me anymore. No, but there's always Satan in the world and unbelief and sin. So God's people need to work hard in love, work hard their whole life, all of them. To keep it up and to keep the memory what I preached unto you unless you have believed in vain. Some people lose their faith. What? You know who loses their faith? Them that have never had a true faith. It looked like they had a faith, but it wasn't a true faith. It's a scary thing, isn't it? And yet, therefore, the Lord says, keep in memory, which are also saved, if ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. The Lord puts a threat there. And the Lord threatens and warns and promises his own people in many different ways in order to keep it up and to persevere. The Lord has means for that. <clears throat> The apostle writes to the congregation of Corinth and there is confusion about the resurrection. 
So he begins with the gospel and preaching and receiving and standing and being saved and keeping up and not believing in vain. And then in verse 3 and 4, an explanation for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also, re- also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. First of all, Christ died according to the Scriptures. What does that mean? I delivered unto you first of all. Did he first go to Corinth? No. Is it that he wants to bring that message first to them? All people? No. First, he means something else. First means it is a principal thing. It is an important thing. I delivered unto you most importantly. It's a real important thing. That which I also receive. It's something so important. So essential. That the apostle says, I delivered unto you first of all, most importantly, that which I also received. He received the gospel. He did not make anything of himself. He did not fantasize and just come up with his own doctrine. He received it, remember? On the way to Damascus, he refers to that later on. So he received the truth, and he also, he passes it on. First of all, this is important, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins. Remember, children, young people? What is it again? What do you call that? Christ died for our sin. He did it for his people. Do you call that? Right. Substitution, right? Substitution. He for them. So the Lord Jesus, he died for them. For his people. In their stead. To take their place. Like a substitution. Like an a teacher, a substitute teacher, takes the place of your normal teacher. So Christ takes the place of his people. And he obeys for them. And he dies for them. At first, it's important. Substitution. And that is in the scriptures. I delivered unto you, first of all, most importantly, that is also I received myself, how that Christ died for our sins. What a wonder. Christ died for the sins of his people. He said, let me die, not them. I want them to live, let, let me die. That's Good Friday. How did Christ die for our sins according to the scriptures? What are the scriptures? The Bible? No. Only the Old Testament. Because the New Testament did not exist yet. And it's everywhere in the Old Testament. I would say on every page of the Bible, you see something of that substitution. Of the Lord Jesus dying. In fact, all the sacrifices they ever did. Goats and heifers and other animals. All the sacrifices pointed to substitution. Because that animal was killed. 
And then the person sacrificing was forgiven. At least that was the message. According to the scriptures, it's in the Bible. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. Lord Jesus slaughtered. For he was cut off out of the land of the living. Cut off. So that sinners don't need to be cut off. He was, he made his grave with the wicked. He wanted to be buried. And with the rich, he was in his death. In the sepulcher of Joseph of Arimathea. With the rich in his death, he died. Because he has poured out his soul unto death. He himself has poured out his soul unto death. He, he died willingly. And that's the heart of the gospel. First of all, also in Luke 24, you remember those two men of Emmaus? Right, you do. No confused as well. And the Lord Jesus kept their eyes closed so that they did not recognize him. And then he opened the Bible, the opened Old Testament to them. And he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not, to, ought not Christ to have suffered these things? And to enter into his glory, and beginning at Moses, Genesis, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. The Lord Jesus explained them through the whole Bible, everything about himself, according to the scriptures. So you need that Bible, and you need that preaching, and you need that message, and you need, you need the gospel to be saved. Verse 4, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So he was buried, he rose, and was the third day, and again according to the scriptures. Why was Lord Jesus buried? Why? There's a sense of doing that. To prove that he was really dead. And when they wrapped him in those linen cloths, they, they noticed he is truly dead. It's a corpse. They just had no doubt about that. There's something else also when he was buried. He was also buried with his purpose to sanctify the grave. It's always an impressive moment to lower the casket of a father, mother, child. It's just, there are no words for that. But if that child, if that mother, if that father, if that single person, whoever it is, the person has been saved, like we talk about, then that piece of soil where they are buried in is sanctified for them. Lord Jesus went first for them. He said, I go first. I make it well. You follow me. He was buried. But he rose again the third day. He was not only raised, he did not only rise, he was also raised. He rose himself also. He also had that power. He was God himself also in his divine nature. The third day, not after three days. Lord Jesus did not die after three days. He died on Friday. On Friday. And he was in the grave on Saturday. And he rose up on Sunday. So that's two days after, right? 
the disease was not three days in the grave, but on the third day he rose. So not on Friday, number one, not on Saturday, number two, but on Sunday, number three. He rose the third day according to the scriptures. It was in the Bible also, also his resurrection. It's remarkable what you read in Acts 26. Apostle Paul was captured by the Jewish people and had to be interviewed by King Agrippa. And he was on his way to Rome, right? He would be um, testifying in Rome. And then the Jewish people accused him that he had a new doctrine. And they said, we don't need a new doctrine. That's offensive to us, Agrippa. He's making us confused, to make the people confused. And the Apostle Paul answered, I don't teach anything, no. I don't say anything, no. That's in your own Bible. Acts 26. None other thing I said than those which Moses and the prophets say should come. That Christ should suffer, that he should be first, that should arise from the dead, and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. Paul said to Agrippa. See? I don't teach anything, anything different. It's just the old doctrine from the Old Testament. And there's so many places that we find also information on the resurrection. Psalm 16, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer the unholy one to see corruption. And the Apostle Peter in Acts 2 explains that it's not about David. This is about Christ. See how important in those four first verses, Apostle Paul writes that the gospel is the gospel of the resurrection. And it is paramount. It is so important. If you miss it, your faith is worthless, in vain. Then the second thought, in the next verses, he explains that the Lord Jesus rose, that they had proof of that. Second thought. The people had questions about the possibility of resurrection and said, can be someday. But Paul did not ignore that. He didn't say, well... That's fine with me. You, you, you believe what you want to believe. He didn't say that. He could not turn a blind eye to that. And he wants to convince the people that the Lord Jesus really, really rose. You see, he did not want them to believe in vain. So he's doing his best to convince them. And he explains that there is a way to prove it. Now when you start thinking about that, what could convince people of that? Well, if a witness is a godly man, if a witness is a man or a woman of integrity, if what they witness is something visible and historical, if the witness is of a sound mind, if the witness is not personally involved and gains from say one thing or the other, if it is also predicted in the centuries before, and if it is also coherent with the doctrine, I think you can make a real point. And in fact, lawyers have looked at Bible churches like this and just have, have, have approached it from, from a secular standpoint and, and there's so, so much value in it. They said if this would be a court case today, they would win. There's so much proof of that, of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. 
and that you are seen of Cephas. Cephas. Who is Cephas? Children. You know who Cephas is? Do you know who Simon is? Simon, Simon. You say, that's, that's the Apostle Peter, right? The Apostle Peter also had an Aramaic name. They often spoke Aramaic in, the, in those names. Like Eli, Eli, Eli Lemus, Sebastian, that's Aramaic. And also Cephas is Aramaic for the Apostle Peter. Consequently, the Apostle Paul reminds the people of Cephas, of the Apostle Peter, that he spoke personally to the Lord Jesus in quite a lengthy conversation. And a lengthy conversation you can read in John 21. You remember those questions, right? Lovest thou me more than these? And Peter answering, Thou knowest that I love thee. And the Lord Jesus telling him, Feed my lambs. And again the question, Lovest thou me? And again the question. And he was also sad and grieved because he said unto them the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Therefore, the Lord reveals himself unto Cephas and unto the twelve. It's right, right? Verse 5. And that he was seen of Cephas then of the twelve. The twelve? Where is Judah then? I thought it was eleven. Well, the expression the twelve is a common expression of the disciples. And it's correct, it was actually eleven. But they're called the twelve. It's a standing expression. And after that he was seen of about five hundred brethren at once. 500, a, a, a whole congregation of people. And they witnessed the Lord Jesus. That's not recorded in the, in, in, in the Gospels. But it must have happened maybe in Jerusalem, maybe in Galilee. The Lord Jesus had predicted, I go before thee to Galilee, never like you see me. So there must have been a huge meeting of 500 saints, God's people, and they all witnessed, yes, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. I know for sure it's him. And the interesting thing is, most of those 500 were still alive. In other words, ask them yourself. Go there yourself. Just ask them that you see him, and most of them are still alive. And they'll say, yes, we saw him. Or some say that is a hallucination. Well, that's interesting. 500 people hallucinating at the same time, the same thing. That's something that does not sit well, right? But some are falling asleep. You know what that means, right? Some have fallen asleep, the sleep of death. Why is it called falling asleep? Because the Christian view on death is that God's people will wake up from it. When you bury the child of God, he is sleeping in the casket, sleeping in the grave. They're sleeping. She will open her eyes again. He will open his eyes again. And they will walk, walk again. And they have their body back again. They are only asleep. that in between. So in Jerusalem or in Galilee, I don't know. After that, he was seen of James. James? I still have to get used to that. To get used to the English language here. Because in the original Hebrew or Greek here, 
It does not say James. It says Jacobus. Jacobus. So in the Dutch translation, you, say, you see Jacobus. But in the King James, the names have often been translated. Like Johannes has been translated into John. When you, see, you read John in the Bible, it's a translation of Johannes. When you read James in the Bible, it's a translation of Jacobus. Who, who is this Jacobus? Who is this James? I don't know. There's several options. We think it is probably the leader of the Jerusalem congregation. And to all the apostles, after that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. The point the Apostle Paul wants to make is, so many people have seen it themselves with their own physical eyes, you don't have to doubt. It's beyond any doubt. The Lord Jesus rose. And don't deny that. It's important. And if you deny it, you're in your sins and your faith is worthless. And then in the next point, he comes by himself. Let us first read those verses. Verse 8 to 11. And last of all, you are seen of me also as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Pastor Paul comes with a personal witness. The Lord Jesus has appeared unto him as well. When? On the way to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And yet the personal encounter with the Savior, the risen Savior. And he acknowledged him, and he was blind, and he received the gospel, and he believed in the Lord Jesus. He was saved by the word of the living God. The wonder. But then he writes, kind of from two sides. It sounds very super humble. He is so honest about himself. And at the same token, he is so confident that he has worked hard and more abundantly than all the other apostles. That was God's gift, right? So keep those two together. The humility and the confidence. Let's talk about his humility first. I am the least of the apostles. That I am not me to be called an apostle. I don't deserve that name. I don't deserve that office at all. I, I really don't. Because I persecuted the church of God. That's a page in his journal that he does not leave clothed. He just looks at us. He reminds himself of it. It's not the only thing he's doing, but he's also doing that. He does not forget. He does not even want to forget. He has been forgiven. He does not need to doubt the forgiveness of what happened. But he needs to remind himself of the fact. And it is often in the Bible, not just once or twice. Pursue the church of God. For in nothing I am behind the chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. I be nothing, he says. 
unto me, Ephesians 3, unto me who am less than the least, less than the least of all the saints, is this grace of apostleship given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You know, he can preach about the unsearchable riches because he knows it himself that he had fallen so deep, so he thinks so highly of the riches of God's grace in Christ. And I persecuted the way unto death, binding and delivering into prison both men and women. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme and be exceedingly mad against them. I persecuted them even unto strange cities. For you have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jewish religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. And 1 Timothy, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. So, you don't have to forget the past. Don't, don't, don't forget about it. But bring it to the Lord. And realize the unsearchable riches of Christ. And speak about that. And testify about that. And at the same time, also realize that the apostle continues with that. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they are. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So he, he's balanced. Don't forget your sins of the past. To only be shallow. Don't do it the other way either. Not only talk about the past and think of the past and, and drowning in it. Forgetting God's grace. The Bible teaches humble joy. Humble joy. How can the joy be humble if you forget? How can that humility be uh, imbalanced if there's no joy? Humble joy. May the Lord give his people more of that. More of that humble joy. Joy. Really joy. But humble joy. Something keep in mind. And the apostle writes in Ephesians 3, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual power, working of his power. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. See? And then verse 11. Therefore, conclusion, therefore, whether it were I or they, me the apostle, or they the apostles, it does not make a difference. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach. We preach the same thing. And so ye believe on that basis of the death of Christ and his resurrection. This is the first piece, 1 Corinthians 15, about showing how important the resurrection is. Otherwise, your faith is vain and worthless. So, congregation, let's go back to verse 1. I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, that you 
receive it tonight? Do you stand in it? Do you hold on to that by God's grace? Because you need to be saved. Younger ones, old ones, you need to be saved. Right now it's time to become saved. Precious time. Hurry. And don't only think of how the Lord works. And don't only think of a historical faith or a temporary faith. You need a saving faith to receive him. And if you're not, not saved, then you're exposed to God's wrath. And if you die today or tomorrow, that way, there are no words to describe that. Then you miss it all. Then you're not falling asleep. Then you fall into your death. And you will wake up in horror. And children of the Lord, do you feel the least of all the saints? Do you realize that the Lord has not forgotten, but the Lord is forgiving? And the Lord wants his church to be humble and joyful. Well, have you been a beast? Before God, like Asaph says, like the Apostle Paul says, I've been a beast before thee. The Lord can save beasts. When I was writing this down, I thought of Putin. Do we pray for Putin? Do we hope that he gets killed as soon as possible? You know, I, I, I can see the point that will be a solution. At the same time, we don't want that. We don't want it to be saved. It's a soul also for eternity. So what, what would happen if he would repent, repent, and feel sorry and just change? But it is possible. The Lord can do that. If the Lord can do it to the Apostle Paul, who was threatening and giving people over into death, and the blasphemer and all the things, if that's true, it's true, then anyone can be saved. So, even we can be saved. Because of the resurrection, the Lord can save people from the state of death. So unwilling, so stubborn, so foolish, but nothing is impossible to the Lord. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he shall exalt you in due time. And don't forget, the joy of God's people is a humble joy. Amen.